One of those, um, the most important, I think, sometimes is overlooked is leadership. If you're owning a business, um, you're, you're not doing it by yourself. Just because you own the business doesn't mean you do it on your own. You're going to have a team. You're going to have people that work for you. And in today's world, especially, it's hard to find workers. I mean, I think a lot of companies are struggling with finding talent. Um, and you've got to create a culture. You have to have the desire to create a culture within your um, company that is going to have your team members wake up every day saying, I get to do this, not I have to do this. So you've got to have that um, those leadership qualities of building a good culture, building a strong team, and focusing on talent retention and and growing the the team that you have. That's very important, and it's a hard it's a hard thing. You can teach it. But it's a hard. You have to have that 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 uh, drive to do that to help people and grow people and, and create that culture. Welcome to Winning Strategies Playbook. The podcast where we welcome business leaders, CEOs, and industry experts to discuss the rise to the top, building wealth, and real estate insights. Here's your host, Jeremy Spann. Welcome to Winning Strategies Playbook. For more information on this show, you can go to our website, myexperiencedrealtor.com. That's experience with an ED. Myexperiencedrealtor.com. You click on the podcast button. You can go down to this episode today or any other episode. You can download from all the different platforms, learn more about our guests. And as always, if you're looking to buy and sell real estate anywhere on the planet, even if it's not here in the Dallas-Fort Worth Metroplex, go to the homepage, click find a trusted professional, and we will make sure that you get someone that's not an idiot that can help you navigate buying and selling real estate to make sure your financial interests are looked after. But today we are not here to talk about real estate. We are here to talk about our fabulous guests. So when you go to that podcast button, scroll down and hit Rachel Southern. Rachel, welcome to the show. Hello, Jeremy. Thank you for having me. Well, I mean, come on. I've had your husband in here during this <laughs> series, and you're, I don't know, he is a pretty good looking guy. I don't know <laughs> who's better looking. It's hard to follow looking. up after. It's kind of yeah. hard to tell who's better looking. You're him, you know? And, uh, as we start these things, we start off with a funny, not really funny joke, but uh, John's family has a certain thing they're passionate about, so I thought this joke might be fitting. Okay. I did a similar with one with him. All right. What goes around a baseball field but never moves? I've got no idea, Jeremy. The fence. <laughs> <laughs> See, at least you laughed, right? John was like, your joke was... Uh, it's hard to make him laugh. <laughs> yeah, I know, right? His sad, ha happy face, sad face, just won the, the lottery face. Yeah, yeah. It's all the it's same all the face. Same. Yeah. Actually, when he makes a face, we all start to pay attention like that was intentional, yeah, right? Yeah. Well, speaking of dad jokes, being a parent and everything else, somebody has a birthday. Yeah, we have um, an almost eight-year-old in the house. She has reminded us every day, but yeah, she's turned eight tomorrow. Eight. Eight. I can't believe. So we'll have an eight are. and nine year old for about six weeks, and then the nine year old turns ten. Wow! I can't I believe how fast time has gone by. I know. Well, is... we met you when the eight year old was not even one. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, that's it's right. Crazy, isn't it? Time goes by. Yeah, really fast. seven years ago. Yeah, that's right. Summer of fourteen. Yep. 
man, it is. Yeah. Well, or you, you can be like in my shoes is you can wait till they're almost 21 years old and just call them Wikipedia because she knows everything. everything. Oh, right? that's already, they already know everything. Oh yeah. yeah. And actually I, I, I make a lot of jokes. I couldn't be more proud of Maggie. I mean, she's, she's, she's doing really, really good. We've had some uh, learning opportunities going off to college as I mean, most people do, right? She's and, doing uh, it right. She should have. Some oh yeah, yeah. I mean, in the beginning, everybody was like, "Hey, what's Maggie majoring in?" I was like, "Majoring in having a good time." And then that later was not the joke. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, like that's the reality. It like, was oh. funny at first, but now it's not. It's no, not no, funny. no. If I'm gonna pay for this, you actually got to show up to class, right? <laughs> but she's good. She's finding her footing. She's a very independent woman, and she's yep. doing. She's doing great. So, you and John, and I, I, I. I I was laughing. I really caught him off guard. I was like, yeah, let's talk about how you met your wife. Because he's this very astute PhD uh-huh. history professor. Yep. Glasses down at the end of the nose. And it was like, yeah, I had long hair playing in a band. I was like, yeah, give him a guitar and put him on a stage. And you're like, who is that? That's who is the that John. Guy? That's the, the, the John I met. Like, yeah. it was a blind date. Total fa- false advertising. Yeah, right? it was. It was yeah. a blind date. And uh, his sister um, actually introduced us. And I used to um, teach spin classes, and she taught my spin classes, and um, she would always come up to me like, you need to meet my brother. You need to meet my brother. I'm like, who are you? I don't know you. I don't want to meet your brother. And then he's he's um, he's in grad school at TCU. He's working on his, his um, master's in history at the time. He was in a band, and in my mind, I was thinking, okay, he's like in the, the marching band at TCU. <laughs> He's history. Like, this isn't really my type. He's got, he's got nerd written all I over I know. Him, I right? kind of avoided her, like, for a long time until I finally went with her. Like, his band's getting together. You should, you know, come see the band. I was like, fine. So I went, and I was like, oh, that's your brother. <laughs> no. Hello. And then he's <laughs> and in there are. performing, yeah. and then you realize he's, like, the world's largest introvert, right? He is. He yeah. is, until he gets on a stage, and then... He gets off the stage. Dr. Jekyll, Mr. Yeah, Hyde yeah, come out, right? You're yeah. like, who is that guy? Exactly. So, yeah, here we are. Uh, what is it? 12 years. We've been married 12 years this year. So. 12 years. Yeah, it's wow. crazy. 12 years with an yeah. almost 10-year-old and, I mean, literally minutes from Yeah, minutes from an 8-year-old. Yeah. And uh, and so she's been reminding you all She's all long. the personality. Like, she is Miss – I mean, she does her hair and her makeup and she's – seven, almost eight years old, and, like, just got this personality. They're both in music. She plays ukulele and sings and makes up these lyrics to songs. John will play his guitar, and Olive will just start singing, like, just makes up the words, and you're just like, I was crying the other day. She was singing a song, and she's got all this, like, I'm like, where do you get, like, this painful, like, lyrics from? You're seven, but they're very, like, raw, and I'm like, damn, girl, and it's just like... (laughs) It's, it's really cool. It's so cool. how different are Charlie and Olive? Oh, my gosh. So all uh, – Charlie, who's um, our – Charlie May, and it's C-H-A-R-L-E-E. She is our almost 10-year-old, and she reminds me more of me as a child. She's a very tomboy, plays sports, no-nonsense, know-it-all, smarty-pants, knows like, did you know, blah, 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 like Wikipedia. Um she reminds me a lot of me. I don't know. Olive reminds me a lot of me too, though. Olive is completely opposite. Girly girl, lipstick on. Like she's already engaged. She has a, a, a fiance. She's, <laughs> she's seven. Like boy crazy. Um, yeah. I mean, we we have a. It's yeah, going to be an interesting you ride. Put locks on the windows it's there. Be interesting. <laughs> or do do what I did. Just you know, 
before they're old enough to crawl out the window, start growing <laughs> holly bushes outside the windows. Right. So that well, they're upstairs, and it's a pretty far. That don't matter. I know. I've I've thought about. They can repel. I've thought. I've actually thought about getting those like um fire safety ladders like if there was ever a fire like to be able to get down i'm like nope <laughs> yeah yeah they ain't going out <laughs> they're not of the going fire, out for a fire right? if yeah. they're like their mother you're, you're, you're gonna you're, you're gonna hear this in the middle of the night yeah is this your child yeah <laughs> oh man yeah I, yeah i'm not worried about uh personality wise charlie is john olive is is me like we're we're the real outgoing like we like to take risks and be a little crazy um, Charlie's a little more like her father. They're a little more structured. Richard. Yeah. Richard. Yeah. Richard. Yeah. Like yeah. things have to be in order. And, like sometimes I'll yeah. go around and John, he always has his shoes like just right and I'll just kick him out, you know, just. Oh, yeah. And he just To be completely out. annoying. Just to, right? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It's well, okay. you have to. Yeah. I mean, that's. That's a part of being a parent, parent, a parent in partnership and, you know, partners in life and everything else is, hey, you know, we got to harass yeah. each other. Right? Yeah. You do. You got to have fun. So when, when, and it was a lot of fun recording his episode is, you know, and we spent actually a lot of time talking about you. Oh, interesting. Oh, yeah. Can't wait to go listen to that. Listen to that one, right? <laughs> All good stuff. Um, because we were, you know, our, you know, John and I share a lot of things in common. And one of them is we completely out punted our coverage when it comes to Mary, right? <laughs> and that um, we chose spouses who, absolutely have hung with us through thick, thin sickness and health until death do us part, which I've been concerned that Laura might actually cause death on me <laughs> sooner or later. Um, and so I want to go back and let's start your journey. But where I want the journey to go to is talk about, I mean, you you wear multiple hats, mm-hmm. right? You've been an incredible spouse support element for your husband. You've been an incredible mother and an incredibly successful business woman. I mean, talk about hitting the trifecta and doing all three. That's, I mean, that doesn't come without any road rash, right? Right. You know, I mean, that was easy, right? Somebody handed you a manual. You're just like, oh, yeah, abracadabra, all this happens. I don't know which one's been the hardest of the three. They're all... (laughs) They probably each have their moments. They each have their moments. So where are you from? So I am originally from South Louisiana, so I'm a Cajun. Um, I was born in a very small town, Franklin, Louisiana. Grew up um, in, in the bayou, honestly. Like, bayou is my backyard. My whole family still lives in South Louisiana. My mom, my sister, all my family's there. I moved to Texas when I was 13. Um, so, you know, um, interesting upbringing. I'm not going to say rough because I think, I think that uh, kind of defines me today. Um, but my mom and stepdad divorced. The only other place my mom knew anyone to kind of get out and start over was in Arlington, Texas. Her youngest sister lived there, my aunt. And she's the only one that ever really, I hate to say this word, it sounds so negative, like, but escaped that small town, small minded, um, kind of what we, we grew up in and, um, was the first one to go to college, move, move away from home. And so she was kind of my mom's lifeline. So my mom, you know, Took a huge step, divorced, um, took me and my younger sister, and we moved to Arlington on a whim. I mean, I 13 woke up one morning and my mom said, we're moving to Texas. So it was a little um, traumatizing uh, and um, moved to Texas, uh, started uh, eighth grade in Mansfield. So went to junior high, high school in Mansfield. Um, 
And I've been here ever since and until John drug me a few places after we got <laughs> married, a few little uh, ventures there. But yeah, I feel like I'm a I'm a Louisiana, like Cajun born Texas girl. Like it's hard for me to choose. I can't. I mean, when people ask me where I'm from, it's almost hard to say South Louisiana. Like I'm, I'm so split 50-50. It's really fun when um, the Cowboys play the Saints. And I'm not a big football fan, NFL fan. I like more college football than anything, but um, it's just so funny to see like all my John's family, Texas family, and Louisiana family have lots of good, lots of good bets going on there. Banter. Yes. Did John ever t- has Jan has John ever told you about any of those bets that no. he's lost? Uh-uh. No. He he bets every year with my brother in law. It's either if like LSU has played like TCU or um, it's either Louisiana like college football or if it's Saints and Cowboys, they bet and whoever loses. The other, the loser has to wear whatever the other one chooses at Christmas. <laughs> so I, I mean, there has been some very interesting outfits. What is what is the one that sticks out the most? So, uh, far? so um, la- was it two years ago? I'll show you a picture. I'll let you put a picture in the show notes. Absolutely. Kill, kill oh, oh no, that's <laughs> done and done. Yeah. Sorry, honey. <laughs> um, let's see. They they got a. Um, a youth size Saints jersey cut out. I don't remember whose jersey it was, but I think there was a number eight, and they cut out the circles. Like John's chest hair is like <laughs> coming out. I mean, it's so tight. It's a crop top. Um, and then like short Daisy Duke jean shorts. My sister like bedazzled some cowboy boots, like jewels all over him. He had to wear this at, I don't know if it was Thanksgiving or Christmas, but like around all of the family, like he had to wear this outfit the whole day. Hilarious. Pull that up. I got. I don't I, know where I, it is. Let me. I'll, I'll. I'll have it by the end of the show. By the end of the show, I want to see that thing, <laughs> and we are totally going to blast it out. It's actually going to be a great marketing tool for him. <laughs> it's like, hey, I mean, if worse comes to worse, you hire this guy to be your public speaker. If he totally bombs, all you have to do at that point. <laughs> Is just say, hey, yeah, his speech might have sucked, but check this photo out. Check this out. (laughs) He's going to kill me. And then the other way, he's my my poor brother-in-law who's like, I'm 6'4", 6'5", like a huge dude. John kind of did the same thing for him, and he had to wear this really tight Cowboys jersey. And John got him, like, the dad white tennis shoes and the – I don't know what you call it, but it's, like, the shorts that, like, your high school baseball coach would have worn. Oh, yeah, the like, athletic shorts. The athletic yeah, shorts, yeah, you know. Yeah. Like, he had to wear that whole outfit and hand out Christmas presents one year. I mean, they, they it's a lot of fun. It's a lot – the Louisiana-Texas uh, banter Rivalry. is fun. Yeah. That's great. That's yeah. great. So you yeah. move here, growing up out in Mansfield. Yeah. What happens after high school? Yeah, so um, – Senior year, my mom says, uh, love you, kid, but I'm going back to Louisiana. And I um, I was not going back to Louisiana. So when I was um, 18, maybe a little before 18, um, mom and my younger sister moved back. I stayed. So, you know, when all of my friends were going off to college, um, I ended up staying and going to UT. I actually did the TCC-UTA thing. Um, and... You know, I was already away, you know, and I, it's when I look back at like maybe one of the regrets I have, I didn't really get that go away to college experience I wish I would have had. But I was just at a time in my life where I had to work full time and put myself through school. There was no, um, you know, support there financially. So I didn't have the luxury of going away to college. So, um, but I, you know, I finished college and was with the first one after my mom's sister um, and my family to get the four-year degree, which was a really big deal for me. So, What did you major in? 
So my um, undergrad is in kinesiology and uh, did a minor in biology um, and did my teaching certificate with that. So pedagogy, kinesiology. So you have something um, in common with your father-in-law. I do. Yeah, my father-in-law. You know, I almost went to TCU. After TCC, I had this choice. I got accepted to TCU. Kinesiology had gone, picked out my classes and everything, and or UTA, and just looking at the financial aspect of it, paying for it myself, I did the UTA route. Um, so I always think about that, like, what would have happened if Dr. Southerd would have been my professor? It would have been pretty interesting. That I don't know if I ever a, would have it, met John. Who knows? Right. Who knows? It could have been something totally different. Totally different. Yeah. So yeah. you get your degree, and what happens then? Let's see. So um, I got my degree uh, when I was a senior. That's when I met John. So I was senior in undergrad. John was working on his master's at TCU. Um, I graduated you know, my first job when I was 16 was working in the daycare at a fitness center. And that's kind of what, like, where my passion for fitness came. Um, I didn't realize at the time how that was going to kind of be a traje- trajectory of where I am today because the gym that I worked for was a franchise and it was a single um, owner franchise. It was a lady of America. I don't know if they're not even around anymore. Um, but I grew up in that that system. Um, the A different owner ended up acquiring it, who was a multi-club owner who owned locations all over the Metroplex. So it opened up a lot of opportunity to me. All through college, I worked there, taught class. That's how I learned to like teach step aerobics and kickboxing, all these classes. That's what made you a badass. I mean, it's kept me in shape, that's for sure. I wish I could go back to that. <laughs> We all, we, uh, we, we all, all do, I, right? I, I'm getting ready to turn that half century mark. And, and I still like some of my, one of my old Marine Corps buddies was in town, uh, up in Colorado this last weekend. And, uh, he was harassing me. He's like, what happened to you? And I was like, shut up. I'm older. Than you. <laughs> <laughs> you, you just kind of like start blaming it on your age, even though yeah. like, it's not an excuse. It really isn't, but it's easy. I am too. I, I do too. Believe me. <laughs> Yeah, it has nothing to do with the the mochas and wine, like coffee to wine. I mean, it has nothing to do with it at all. Yeah. So you meet John. Yes. You're um, doing this fitness thing. I'm, in, I'm doing fitness. I graduate. Um, I'm running a couple, managing a few fitness centers. That was kind of what I did right out of, of college. Uh, John and I, John actually, um, a couple years into our relationship, started his PhD program. And that was at Texas Tech in Lubbock. And I was like, bye, Felicia. <laughs> How excited were you to go to Lubbock? Yeah, I, uh, we, were, we were long distance for a little bit because I wasn't <laughs> doing that thing. And um, this was an interesting, like, twist in my, um, I don't know, life events, I guess. Uh, I was 24 and um, decided John and I had been together for two years. We had been long distance for a year. Okay, I'm going to move to Lubbock. So um, move, pack up. Moved to Lubbock, get there. The day I got there, um, I was actually diagnosed with type 1 diabetes. Oh, wow. Yeah. Um, so um, that was uh, a big transition. What was that like? It was – I mean, you're you're going from just living your life and the little things you don't think about on a daily basis to like every – Every minute, constantly checking in with yourself. Like, how do I feel? Am I okay? Am I not okay? Am I low? Am I high? Is this right? Should I do this? Should I do that? Um, 
and when I say minute by minute, like through the night, um, I remember John and I, when I moved to Lubbock, we had different apartments, but same apartment complex. And I couldn't sleep alone for the first several weeks. Like I didn't want John to leave my apartment. I was so scared. Mm. Um, I mean, I was had to go to pricking my finger every few hours, taking insulin injections every day. Um, and now, and also on top of that, a new job, a new city, had no friends, had no family. Like, John was it. And so that was um, that was very tough. And so I did not last. I was in Lubbock for about four months, and I ended up coming back to Fort Worth. Um, it was just – it was too much. So – Well, let's, let's, let's pause yeah. here for a second. And, and I mean, I don't know enough about diabetes. Actually, I don't know about enough about anything medical is – I mean, how does that happen where one day this, that switch yeah. occurs and – you haven't had to prick your finger, check, and do all this and insulin and all that. It yeah, just, just, I mean, happened. it just, yeah. it just one day, yeah, boom. Or, or I mean, so it was actually it was a gradual thing over several weeks. Um, so when your blood sugars are running high, there's a lot of uh, symptoms like losing weight. So I lost like ten pounds, and I'd went on vacation and it lost like ten pounds in a week. Wow. Which, you know, I'm like, hey, yeah, Run it up, and you know, it you're not thinking of like <laughs> why this is not okay. Um, but at the time, I was also very active. I was teaching a lot of classes. So I was really, really thirsty. But I thought, oh, I'm thirsty because I'm working out a lot. I'm just dehydrated. So I was drinking a ton. Well, then I'm going to the bathroom a ton. But I'm thinking, oh, it's because I'm drinking a lot. And I'm drinking because I'm working out a lot. Like I had just kind of an excuse for everything. Um some random uh, throwing up in there. And again, oh, I had a couple beers. Maybe I was didn't eat enough. Like it, just, you know, just kind of an excuse for everything. Um, and so I finally just went to uh, – it was just like my annual checkup. And my doctor's like, so what else is going on? Oh, I'm, I, I don't even remember what I told her. And she was like, is diabetes running your family? And it did. My, my grandfather was a type 1. He was actually diagnosed when he was 11. Um, he's not living today. I never did meet him, but, um, he, he was, uh, type one. And then I have a younger cousin. She's 10 years younger than me. She was diagnosed when she was 11. So there's two people in my family that had had type one diabetes. So, um, we did some testing and uh, those results came back the day I got them back the day I got to Lubbock. So it was, it was shocking. How scary was that? It was very scary because even though I had it in my family, I was very uneducated about it. So I remember just three years prior to being diagnosed, my cousin Renee, who, who was 11 at the time when she was diagnosed, I was 21. I remember crying. I remember exactly where I was sitting and what I was doing when I found out she was diagnosed because I remember thinking she's she's going to die. Like this is a death sentence. I I didn't know. I I just – that's what I thought. So when I was diagnosed, it was very scary until I got educated and realized, oh, like you can control this. It's still very serious, but you can live a very long, healthy life if you take care of yourself and do the right things. I Today where I wear an insulin pump, I wear a Dexcom, which is a continuous glucose monitor. I can look at my phone and see what my blood sugar is and, you know, have an insulin pump, just press some buttons to take – take insulin. So I'm constantly monitoring it, but um, it's very manageable. How much does it scare you that Charlie and or Olive could yeah. potentially carry that gene as well? 
So there has been some very unfortunate stories where a parent thinks their child has the flu and even the doctor says, oh, it's just the flu. And it turns out to be type 1 diabetes and and people, children die from undiagnosed diabetes. So anytime my kids have flu symptoms, I prick their finger. They hate it, but they get it. (laughs) I mean, a simple um, prick of the finger and a little drop of blood can save a life. So it's always in the back of my mind. Anytime I'm always, my, oh, why, why'd you just go to, didn't you just go to the bathroom? Why are you going to the bathroom again? Let me prick your finger. Yeah. <laughs> it's a little, it's a little bit of paranoia being a parent, right? Yeah. Um, so I'm, I'm definitely on top of it and keep an eye on it. However, um, from what I remember, new research ha- could have, this could be old research, but it's more dominant in the male gene with type 1. So like if John was the one with type 1, it's a little more common. But how, there's still a lot of people that get diagnosed with type 1 as adults. I was 24. Um, there's a lot of people that get diagnosed as adults and it doesn't run in their family anywhere. So it's not just about having it in the family. In fact, if I recall, type 2 is even more hereditary than type 1. What's the difference between type 1 and type 2? Um, in the most simplistic terms, type 2, your pancreas still makes insulin. Your body's just resistant to it, which is where you can usually take a pill, get more active, change the lifestyle to get your body um, you know, absorbing the insulin better. Type 1, your pancreas just pretty much stops making insulin. And is there... And, and again, I'm I'm very ignorant to this. I'm very uneducated. Is I don't know enough about the human anatomy. I mean, hey, I was a liberal arts major, and then I went and got an MBA, so I didn't have to take any health classes. Is is the pancreas something that you can have surgically replaced? Yeah, you can, and some people do um, when they are um, at that point. Uh, if they get to that point where um, they they need to, there's definitely pancreas transplants for people that are like in failure or things like that. So. Um, it's not a um, – it's not something I would be qualified for, but it definitely can happen. So do you think there's any correlation with you were in the fitness industry, right? Mm-hmm. And then now this happens, mm-hmm. right, that both worlds collide and you yeah. go, okay, hey, wait a minute. I'm going to stay connected to the fitness industry because my health is very, very important. Yeah. I mean, health is important in general, but yours is like this is a Life constant – mo- Right. Yeah. It literally. Yeah. It did. I mean, being having a fitness and nutrition background saved me. I mean, I knew already about carbohydrates and and the role that fats and carbs and um, protein plays in the body and absorption. Like I knew a lot of that already, and that's something for someone who gets diagnosed with type one who doesn't have that background. Talk about. I can't imagine getting like a. I mean, my four-year degree popped in quick. I learned, you know, all the things I learned was like, you know, really important to have at that that time. Um, but you're, you know, part of diabetes is I have to take one unit of insulin for every eight carbohydrates that I eat. So I have to be able to look at food and know that's X number of carbs, do the math, that's how much insulin I need to take. However, if those carbs are paired with really high fat or really high protein, it could slow the absorption. So I may need to take a little now and a little later. I mean, that's what's going through my brain all day long. What did I eat? Did I eat enough? Did I take enough insulin? How much? Math minus this times my correction. You know, it's a, it's a, it's a constant um, balancing because if you're too high, you need more insulin. If you're too low, you need sugar. And, you know, you, you don't get to take a break from it. I mean, you don't even get to go to sleep and not think about it because who knows what your blood sugar does in your sleep and it's waking you up and um, it's a constant. No uh, days finger. off. Huh? Yeah. No days off and no days off for John. I mean, John is uh 
he gets alerts on my uh, blood sugar. So if I'm going really high or really low and I'm not, you know, I do a lot of traveling for work and there's times where he's calling people to go find me in my hotel room because Rachel's blood sugar is low. She's not answering her phone. I mean, I'm And you're fine. like, I'm in a conference I, I, right now. Yeah, I know. I'm like, no, I'm fine. I just couldn't, you know, I'm eating sugar. My mom gets the alerts too. So there's, it, there's so many times she's texting, are you eating? You know, but yeah. it's, it, it gives me comfort in knowing that if something were to happen, they're getting those alerts. Um, so, you know, they're constantly thinking about it too. My, my poor sweet Olive, she has the biggest heart. She'll, and there may be a little ulterior motive in this, but she'll like go get some cookies or she'll be eating something. And she's like, here, mommy, for your diabetes. Like, oh. so sweet. She, you know, they're thinking about it too. So, so you come back to, you come back to Arlington. Yep. What, what happens from there? Um, let's see. This was, uh, I was back here for about a year, and then John um, proposed to me, so I kind of had no choice but to move back to Lubbock. He was going to be your sugar daddy? <laughs> he was going to be my dad. <laughs> <laughs> With his PhD in history. <laughs> oh, we talked about that. Like, shit in the bed there, and then another unnamed company we both went to. It was like, dude, you were two for two yeah, there, Yeah, two for you? two. I'm like, hell? <laughs> Uh, yeah, I know. I, we, you know, we were, um, we were together for a year. We were long distance for a year. I moved out there for a few months. So then we were long distance for another year. And then we, we got married and I had no choice but to move back. But by the time I moved back to Lubbock, the second time we were married, um, I, my diabetes, you know, I had been with it now for a couple of years. I was more comfortable. It was, um, just a, a better, I was at a better place in my life to, to take that leap again. I also kind of had no choice. Like I couldn't, I mean, I guess I did have a choice, but I didn't want to, like, live in a different city from my brand-new husband. So, yeah. yeah. So we moved out to Lubbock. I moved out to Lubbock and met John out there for his last year of uh, grad school. Um, Still in the fitness industry at the time. Um, And this was a big uh, jump because we um, were still in the fitness industry, had worked, you know, was managing some health clubs out there. Um, And then John graduated, and we I was really nervous because we're here we are – sitting at his graduation party with all of his family in town. I was expecting, I was have, you know, I was pregnant with Charlie. So our, our first babe's on the way. Um, and he still doesn't have a job offer. And I'm like, what the hell are we going to do? Like, what are we going to do? We're in Lubbock. I'm having this baby. You don't have a job. And I remember we went to breakfast the morning of his graduation. And I remember sitting at breakfast and he got the email with the job offer um, for Georgia State. And that's when we... We moved out to Atlanta. So that was kind of the start of our next adventure. So you go out to Atlanta. Do you do you have Charlie before or after you get to Atlanta? So I was 26 or 7 weeks pregnant with Charlie. When we moved to Atlanta. Um, I It was my first career move outside of like working in the gym, like in the brick and mortar. Um, I got a job working for a um, a fitness consulting company and software company that um, basically consulted with with franchise gyms and had software for them to like manage their their business. So if you if you're a member of a gym, there's a software working behind there that manages like your payment and if you do training session scheduling, all that. So I was working for um, a training software consulting company. Um, and it was remote. It was work from home, which was great. It was my first. This was 2009. Moved to Atlanta, working from home, still in fitness, but more on the software side. I'm a big tech geek. I love technology. So it was kind of blending two worlds together for me. That was really exciting. 
Um, 26 weeks pregnant, get to Atlanta. I don't know if it was the move or what, but we get there. We weren't even like unpacked. We had been there a few days and um, found a doctor. I go in. They're like, oh, you're having some contractions. Um, I was like, I don't, I didn't feel anything. I felt fine. So I ended up having to go on bed rest at home, thankfully, just bed rest. So like John had to like unpack and like move into our house like completely by himself because I just sat there in a recliner. Which actually he probably enjoyed because he got to put everything in place where right, he where wanted he, it Not anyway. necessarily where he wanted it. It was one of those like <laughs> it felt really bad. But then again, I really didn't. Mm-hmm. Um, but that was, uh, again, like new city. We're in Atlanta. We know no one. Really exciting, exciting time for John. Like, he gets to go be a professor. Like, he had in all this time and energy into getting his PhD, got his um, his dissertation, got his uh, – just – it was just really exciting that he got this really cool um, – we were on a three-year contract at Georgia State. So we knew we'd be there for at least three years. Um, meanwhile, uh, Charlie – I ended up going into labor with her – at 29, 30 weeks, they were able to to stop it, but in the hospital. So I lived in the hospital for a month. Wow. Um, she ended up being born around 34 weeks, but again, just moved to a new place. And now I'm living in the hospital. John, how many weeks is the normal? 40. So she- Six weeks early. Yeah. I mean, she was born six weeks early. I went into labor 10 weeks early. Um, they were able to keep her in. It was a, a very, I kept a journal actually of the the chaos because it was like every other day I would go into labor, take me down to labor and delivery. Nope, she's not. Stop it. Go back up. I mean, it was. And you got another human in you, which I'm sure is probably affecting your insulin levels. Oh, gosh. And diabetes and, and pregnancy. That's a whole nother like yeah. craziness. Um, so that was a that was a very John and I look back and it was a very traumatic birth. Charlie almost died at birth. She was I was in active labor for over four hours. They had to use. Um, I, I was crying for a C-section, like, please cut me open. And mm-hmm. John was like, we decided not to. And we, we went a different direction. Um, and, uh, they, she ended up, I don't remember if they used like forceps or vacuum. I'm not going to cut this part out, <laughs> but she ended up coming out and they rushed her off to the NICU. And I remember, I remember sitting there and, um, waiting for John to come back because he went with her. And I will never forget John's face when he walked back in um, and he, like they had to do an emergency blood transfusion. Like he said, like just doctors swarmed. And what had happened was during birth, um, she got, it's called a subgaleal bleed. And there's a very high death rate with infants that get this. And it's basically um, the the space between her skin and her scalp just rubbed and rubbed and rubbed. She was stuck basically. And it caused internal bleeding between that, that space. Um, And so like all the blood in her body was pulling to her head. And when we went to see her in the NICU, it was the weirdest thing, Jeremy. It was like her head was mush. Because all the blood was like up, it was just crazy. But um, her being a preemie and having that subgaleal bleed, it was it was very traumatic, and they had to do a lot of tests. They weren't sure if there would be some permanent damage. And again, it's it, it's the one time I've ever seen John cry um, is when we got that call. We were in the w- waiting. Like, does she have? Um, there were a few things on the table that like cerebral palsy, I think, was one of them, or just some different things with the brain that it could have impacted. And um, we got the call that she was fine and she was healthy. It was just this like, 
I mean, I'll never forget that moment of just relief. Relief. It makes me tear up thinking about it. It was very scary. Um, but God, did John and I just learn a lot going through that experience together and um, everything's fine now. She's she's a little firecracker, so we're good. So um, just like with John's episode and all these episodes, I – King of one-lighters, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Spanisms. <laughs> and, but one of them that I constantly use is everything that's a blessing is a curse, and everything that's a curse is a blessing. And the curse of going through something like that also creates the blessing of how much you truly learn to value life. Yes. I mean, here it is. You've been uprooted from Louisiana to a new place in Texas. You find a hippie PhD <laughs> <laughs> serious stoic guy goes to Lubbock. You uproot there. You get there and life-changing health yep. situation. You finally make it through that. And then you get to yet another new location and you go through all another this. traumatic event. Man, it just sounds exhausting. Yeah. yeah. You know what? But when I was in it, and I think John would say the same, it never felt exhausting. I mean, it felt like it's just it's just the thing we're doing like and i think you just do it you just you 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 roll with the punches you deal with yeah. it you move on and i don't know if that's just a mentality thing that i have but um i've never felt like a victim to my circumstances or like woe is me it's just like i mean i look at those. the one thing i can absolutely say about you you are definitely not as woe is me person <laughs> you're an incredibly i mean just rachel the way you've always carried yourself you are a powerful presence in everything that you do. I mean, that Thank was one you. of the, I, I, I never forget like the first time I met you. Plus you're just, you always smile. As a matter of fact, it, it's funny. Laura called it best. She goes like, she's probably the one person that can smile. And people are like, wow, she's smiling. And she's thinking, you're an idiot. <laughs> you know, it's funny though that you say about that. I once had, I'll never forget. Oh, I'm going to call his name out. Dave Mortensen. I love him. He's the, one of the founders and president of self-esteem brand. So we haven't gotten to that part of my story yet, but we were in a boardroom once and this was me, you know, young in my career. This was, uh, I don't know, 10, eight years ago. I mean, it was after, uh, we'll get there, but um, I remember after this meeting, he, we went into his office. He's like, you wear your emotions on your face, don't you? I was like, <laughs> do I? <laughs> I think I've learned to do that smile thing. Just to try to mask as much as possible. Like, I'm smiling. I'm seeing you. I'm smiling. But you can't read my mind. I think you're an idiot. (laughs) So now, does that, all the emotions and fears and everything else that go into now Charlie's here, now Olive is on the way. Yeah. Does all that have some carry through with like, okay, now we're getting ready to do this again? It did. Um, I mean, I was definitely scared, but um, we learned a lot, um, my doctor and I, through my pregnancy with Charlie, and were able to do some different medications and precautions early on in the pregnancy. So I had a much better uh, pregnancy with Olive. She was an elective C-section because we didn't want to go through that situation again. So um, Olive, she made it a couple weeks longer. She was still preemie. I think Olive came around 30 Five or thirty-six weeks, so she lasted longer than Charlie. But I didn't have the bed rest and live in the hospital. So what I'm hearing is, I you have two impatient children that yes. are like, we are not going to wait yeah. on the world to say hello. Yes, yeah. they were like, we're coming. We're early. coming. And where do you think they get that from? <laughs> 
can't be mad at him. I'm like the most impatient person. I understand. I'd want to be out of there too, girlfriend. So now you've got Charlie, you've got Got two babies. Yeah. And so John's coming up on year three. Yeah. So um, I'm going to back up just a tad back to my career move at that point because I think it's really important here. Um, the, The company that I went to work for, the consulting software company, our largest account at the time was Anytime Fitness. I hadn't been there, I don't know, maybe six months. And Anytime Fitness actually acquired us. So, um, again, there's kind of some full circle there back to fitness franchising. Because my, if you go back to my um, high school and college, I worked for a franchisee in the field. And now I'm kind of my first time on the other side working for the franchisor. So I started at Anytime Fitness. Um, that was in 2000. It was when Charlie was born, which would have been 2011. I started um, at Anytime Fitness. At the time, it was just Anytime Fitness. They had a few hundred locations between the U.S. and Canada. Um, we, we may have had a couple in Australia at the time. Um, I left Anytime Fitness last year, and when I left, we were over 4,000 locations worldwide. Gosh, over 33, 34 countries. So um, – 10 years of experience on the franchisor side, growing a brand. Um, During that time, they actually created a a parent company, Self-Esteem Brands, and became a franchising company and acquired other franchises where when I left, we had a portfolio of, I think, four different brands under Self-Esteem Brands. Um, what is the rough value of all those brands put together? Gosh, Self-Esteem Brands is a billion-dollar company. I mean, they're global. They're um, multiple countries. We almost were in China. That was part of my motivation of going to grad school and why I picked the program I picked because they had a really big um, presence in China. And that was a, an area we were kind of leaning into um, in 2019. Uh, a lot lot changed pretty quick right mm-hmm. after that. So, Wow. So you're over at any time. You got two babies. Yep. You got a big baby. Yep. Yep. Who's coming up on time to pop? And yep. as we talked about on his episode, that doesn't was, yeah. happen. That was that was um, that was a very stressful time. And looking back, John and I—I I mean, I'm not saying I'm knock on wood. Um, we've had a we've had our obviously our our uh, our challenges. Challenges. Or I don't even know if challenges is the right word, but traumatic events that we've been through together in our relationship. But we've always had a very good um, – we just – we trust each other. We respect each other. Um, and it's never felt hard uh, with each other. We've gone through hard things, but we both will come from a place of empathy. And I had to really dig deep to find that empathy during that time for John as much as you want to. The easy thing to do would have been to be frustrated, get a job, do something with the – what are you doing, you know. Um, but – I had to think of it from where he was coming from. I mean, he had 10 years of school to do this thing that he was so passionate about and to try to get a job and not find anything. I'm sure I'm not going to go there because I know you guys probably talked about it in in his podcast, but um, I had to dig deep to find that empathy and love for him to go through that. And we did. And it was fine. We came out on, on the other side, but it was tough being... Like you said, we're in Atlanta. He his his contract's up. He has nothing lined up. We have a two year old and a and a baby, 
and we're moving in with his parents. <laughs> sure, you're exhilarated to know that. <laughs> they might watch this podcast. So. <laughs> I was. Yeah. And so you get back here to Fort Worth, living with John's parents. Of yep. course, he goes and gets on just like me and several others to – Unnamed said company. Yeah, he found a, something that looked to be like a very exciting and interesting opportunity that we were both like, this is going to be so good. You can use your your um, your history, military history and business, put those two together and kind of, um, you know, nonprofit, like a big purpose, a bigger purpose mm-hmm. with that. And we were really excited about it. Yeah. And then – that falls apart yep. because we were all attracted to it for the same reasons. Yeah. So then there's strike two, right? <laughs> yep. And then, you know, he finally finds his path, right? Yeah. And yeah. and he's doing great. He's doing great. Right. Yeah. And then here it is. You're still with Anytime Fitness, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And you're you're the brand manager, right? I was the director of operations. Director of operations. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So. yeah. so I really grew up in operations and a lot on technology integrations. I mean, we were – Doing a lot of um, – one thing about Anytime Fitness is they're, they're like a fitness franchise kind of disguised – or I'm sorry, they're a technology company disguised as a fitness franchise. A lot of our own proprietary technology and a lot of that buy, build, partner integrations to give the best experience to our franchisees and our members. Um, so that, that was uh, – I learned a ton. And what happened in my career, this is, you know, really what, how I got to where I am today is – you know, started in fitness, got on the business side of fitness, and then got on to business. And it was really this transition I never saw coming. Um, but I learned so much on – it was not but a couple years into my tenure at any time that I wasn't even using my fitness degree. I was running a business. I had fitness experts working under me that were running the fitness side of things, but I was running – you know, the business. And I got really, really intrigued with the business, which is what motivated me to go back to school and uh, get my MBA. And so you go back to UTA. Yep. You get your MBA. Yep. You're still with Anytime Fitness. I'm still with Anytime Fitness when I started my MBA program. Um, we were right in the middle of COVID. I started my my MBA in January of 2020. Oh, wow. So um, it was like an 18-month program. Started in January, what, six weeks in, three three months in. Uh, COVID, we go virtual. Every, every we, were, we were supposed to go to China. China trip gets canceled. It was, you know, a completely different experience than what I had signed up for. Um, but also to to go through COVID and the challenges you're going through and running a billion dollar business to have that cohort and all of us going through that together. I, look, looking back on was like it wasn't really that bad to go through it. During that time, I mean, I still, you know, in contact with a lot of my cohort, amazing relationships formed. And for all of us to be going through what COVID was doing to all of our businesses where we were, um, it was the perfect place to be during that time. Yeah, because let's face it, COVID decimated the fitness industry, right? Yes. Things are shut down. You know, never mind, we can pack people on a plane, but you can't go to the gym. Yeah. Right? Exactly. And I'm sure there's a lot of, we could probably make an entire episode out of oh the gosh. frustration levels of like, how is that okay? But, but this, this isn't. Is oh not yeah, don't okay. get me started on right? that. Right? Yeah. And so, so you're 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 going through this, 
Yeah. Something new comes in your world. Something does come in my world. It was um, very unexpected. I, sh- I shouldn't say unexpected because um, one, one thing I'll say is the brand president of Anytime Fitness, who I reported to, had she, she um, uh, is an amazing businesswoman that I've always looked up to and was really a mentor for me. She was always coaching me in my career. And she was a big part of why I went back to grad school. She knew I wanted to be a brand president someday. And she uh, was the one that's like, great, you got to go to grad school. You got to go work in consulting. You got to get some consulting experience. And, you know, to me, that's an amazing leader to risk losing someone that works for you, but to to be a big part of their career journey. Um, So I, I went to grad school and then a really interesting opportunity came up for consulting. And so I left Anytime last year. And went to work for um, Bottle Rocket, which is an experienced consultancy. They're based in Dallas. Amazing experience with that company. If you haven't heard of them, look them up. They, they're they the, the organization that built the Chick-fil-A app. So when you think about where physical and digital experiences collide, that's where Bottle Rocket comes in. Um, so I had some amazing um, experiences there working um, with different big multi you know, billion dollar companies, helping them go through digital transformations and growing a brand and growth strategy. So all the fun things that come with consulting, you know, I had planned on being there for a few years. Like, okay, I'm getting, I got my MBA, I'm doing this consulting thing. Like, this is where I'm going to hang out for a while. Um, Until out of the blue, a recruiter reached out to me about another opportunity that I wasn't expecting for a few years. Um, And it was for a brand president role. And I have to tell you, when he told me the name of the brand, I laughed. I was like, what are you – what? What? Are, what is that? What do they do? I was like, no, Doug, I'm not interested. No, thank you. <laughs> and he's like, just go through the process. Like, you'll, you'll see. And I did. I went through the months of interviewing and learning about this brand and meeting with um, the, the staff at the franchisor office um, meeting with some franchisees, learning about the brand. And I was like, holy shit, this is amazing. <laughs> like, we are sitting on a, like, a marketing gold mine. Like, what we could do with this brand um, is really exciting. And I just couldn't pass up the opportunity. So um, June of this year, I took the role as the brand president for Men in Kilts. So drop, let the jaws drop to the floor. Right. Uh, Men in Kilts, it's a franchise we do – um, window cleaning, gutter cleaning, power washing, house washing, commercial and residential exterior cleaning, and we wear kilts. So you will see our guys and gals. Um, don't be uh, don't let the name fool you because we have a lot of um, amazing women that wear their kilts um, and and do the cleaning. It's it's really cool. You know, when I think about what men in kilts kind of unique selling point is, we're bringing an experience to getting your windows washed. Like who does, who would have thought of that? Like who do you think of when you think of a window cleaning company? What comes to mind? Yeah, I mean nothing. 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 Yeah, yeah, like okay, got a squeegee, got some yeah. soap. But I promise you the first time you see someone, a person wearing a kilt cleaning windows, you're never going to look at a kilt the same. <laughs> you're going to see a guy cleaning windows and you're going to be like, where's this kilt? You know? Yeah. So we have a, um, a really fun opportunity here to bring um, a really amazing customer experience to the home services industry. Um, an- another really unique thing about Men in Kilts is it, we are part of a larger brand, Threshold Brands. Um, that owns um, multiple 
brands, franchise brands in the home services space. So um, it, it's really neat to be part of, of that franchise community. So, and if you're watching this episode on YouTube, you will see I am wearing the Men oh, yes. Pilks t-shirt and because I always love free stuff anyways. Thank you yeah, and now you have to turn around and uh, see what our... Oh, yeah. our, our, and on uh, the back, if you're watching this, <laughs> you see no peeking. No peeking. No That's peaking. Our, our little slogan. So what it was, what it, I mean, I, I, I see the interest and all that, but what was it... What was it about this that was like, okay, this is a marketing gold mine? Like, yeah. what, what, I mean, there's when you peel back the layers of the onion to really get to the, the root of it, yeah. per se, is what, what is it about this company? Um, I heard someone say this, so I'm, I'm, I didn't make this up. I'm stealing this from someone. <laughs> um, Men in Kilts is part of um, a, another franchise called Made Pro. So, Made Pro is a made service franchise. Um, and we have those here in Dallas, Fort Worth. They're amazing. They've been around for over, over 20 years. Very, uh, a top two franchise recently voted, um, top two, like a very, very reputable franchise company. And so Men and Kilts is kind of like the 20 year startup. They've got the backing of this uh, other franchise brands that have been around for years and have created all these processes and systems. Um, Men and Kilts actually started in Canada. Um, Gosh, over 15 years ago to uh, 2009, I think. Um, so not quite 15 years. Um, and it was a, a guy that just owned his own window cleaning company, Scottish guy in in, uh, in Canada. And he was at a bar one night with his friends. They're putting back some beers and talking about his window cleaning business and what can I do to stand out and be different and friends over beer. Oh, you should wear your kilt. He wore his kilt all the time. You should wear your kilt while you clean. And that's how it got started. So we have a big brand awareness and big presence in Canada. So there's, you know, there's already a br an established brand that exists that has the backing of another well-established brand in an industry that is untapped. I mean, we've got 23 locations today in the U.S. and Canada. Um, there's so much opportunity to just dominate in this in this market and it's just really exciting wow and so it's interesting how a journey takes you all the way to 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 a company that you're like i would have never thought in a million years but what so okay so that gives us the root of what the company is but yeah what what makes it really interesting for you being the brand president of this right Ah. Uh, it is um, – there's a little bit of the legacy factor, like to come in and take a brand that's – it's been through its own ups and downs. It's been around for a little while. And, um, in fact, it was previously owned by a different franchisor before our existing franchisor owned it. And, you know, these – the people in this brand, the franchisees that we have today are amazing passionate people. I'm, I've only been here for two months and part of my two months has been having a lot of one-on-ones with each franchisee and they all bring their unique um, stories and they, they have their own journeys of how they became a men and kilts franchisee. Um, that's what it is for me is like helping those franchisees live their dreams and reach their goals and, and being able to um, have a big part in unlocking what this brand can be for them and provide that growth and like um, just, uh, you know, they, a lot of people that go out to start a franchise are usually leaving corporate America, leaving 
a lot of that baggage behind. They want to do something for themselves. They have that entrepreneurial spirit. Um, and so to, to really help those franchisees find that and, and give them the processes and the tools and, um, you know, the, the unlock the capabilities for them to be able to, to live their dreams is how do you not find passion in that and find excitement in that, you know, to be a part of that legacy of unlocking that for so many people is just really exciting. How much of a presence does Men and Kilts have in Texas? We have one office in Texas, down in Houston area, Richmond, Texas. Okay. So if you are in the Dallas-Fort Worth area and you want to see men in kilts, <laughs> call me. <laughs> so, so now you're, as a brand manager, is, is part of your role to help grow the presence and bring in more franchisees, right? Yeah, I have a little, I have a little hand in everything as the brand president, so... Um, part of that is expanding into new markets, so franchisee, franchise growth, finding um, new markets, new franchisees to bring into the system to open up and help to to spread that that brand awareness, spread our footprint. Um, right now, we're just U.S. and Canada. And then I also um, am responsible for existing franchisee growth. So what can we do to expand in the existing markets that we're in to help our, our current franchisees, um, you know, Make more money, expand um, into the existing markets. So having a lot of experience, you know, in franchising is what are some bullet points? So if there's an audience that's listening to this that says, hey, I'm interested, what are some bullet points that you would say, hey, if you're A, B, and C or looking for D, E, and F, what are some of those that – if an audience member or members are listening, they go, uh, check, check, yeah, check, yeah. check. Hey, I need, I, I, I need to go look into yeah. this. What are some of those, yeah. what are some of those bullet points? You've definitely got to have that entrepreneurial spirit, but I will say that that can be, um, a good and a bad thing. So it's like the balance, right? Part of being in a franchise. And I mean, think of most people don't realize we're surrounded by franchises. I think McDonald's is a great example. So. Uh, it's the most common one, right? So if you're going to open a McDonald's, you can't decide, I want to sell pizza. I'm, I'm an entrepreneur. I'm going to sell pizza. It's McDonald's. It's not what McDonald's does. So you definitely got to be someone who um, wants to run their own business and has uh, the, the mentality of um, working for yourself and growing a business, but doesn't have the desire to start from scratch. Like you want to get a jump start. Give me the ops manual. Tell me exactly what to do what to sell, how to sell it, like give me the manual and I will run with it. And so it's kind of that, um, it's like such the perfect balance between working for the man yeah. <laughs> and working for yourself and starting up something from scratch. It's, it's like a nice jump start right in the middle. So somebody's got an entrepreneur spirit. They don't want to do necessarily the foundation building of creating a company. They just want to take something and run. They want the yeah. playbook, they right? Want the playbook. You want the they playbook. Want the, we have the playbook. You want the playbook to be able to go run with it. Then at that point, somebody says, okay, what are some other characteristics mm-hmm. and qualities that that person needs to yeah. possess in order to want to yeah. go, let me jump into this? One of those, um, the most important, I think sometimes is overlooked is leadership, if you're owning a business, um, you're, you're not doing it by yourself. Just because you own the business doesn't mean you do it on your own. You're going to have a team. You're going to have people that work for you. And in today's world especially, it's hard to find workers. I mean, I think a lot of companies are struggling with finding talent. 
Um, and you've got to create a culture. You have to have the desire to create a culture within your um, company that is going to have your team members wake up every day saying, I get to do this, not I have to do this. So you've got to have that um, those leadership qualities of building a good culture, building a strong team and focusing on talent retention and, and growing the, the team that you have. That's very important. And it's a hard, it's a hard thing. You can teach it. But it's a hard, you have to have that, that, that uh, drive to do that, to help people and grow people and, and create that culture. You know, especially in today's, you know, market. I mean, I, like I own several companies. One of those companies is a restaurant over in Arlington and finding not even skilled labor, but what I will say is willing yeah. labor, <laughs> yeah. right? Is it's a struggle right now. And, and not just in the restaurant industry, right? All I mean, because, hey, let, hey, hey, let's face it, right? I mean, look, we're making pizzas. Yeah. Right? You take the dough, you put it in the pan, <laughs> you flatten it out, you put on the sauce, you put on the cheese, you put on the toppings, you put it in the oven, and it comes out. We're not Rinse, doing brain surgery. Right? Yeah. We're not doing brain surgery here. And I mean, Jeremy. Uh, who has been my GM for the last several years, who is just this amazing hu- human who is just his perseverance through the pandemic and keeping that business open has done an amazing job. But literally every time we talk, he's like, I literally, I, 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 you can't hire anybody. Yeah. And, and, and it's even getting to a point where it doesn't even matter how much money you throw at them. They're not coming. Right. And then, and then, like, even we're seeing that in, across, like you said, all industries. So, like, in the real estate industry, right? So, supply chains have been incredibly oh. disruptive, yes. right? Yes. And not just in supply chains as far as building materials, right? Because everybody's like, oh, real estate bubble. And I'm like, ah, you don't know what you're talking about, right? Is the reason things are trading so hot and fast is because there is no inventory, with an extreme high demand. Yep. So the only thing to offset that is one of three things. Either reduce the demand, which means most likely the avenue to do that would be to raise interest rates. Mm-hmm. And Rachel, are politicians going to raise <laughs> interest rates? No. Why wouldn't they? Not if they want to keep their job. Yeah. So their self-perseverance is, yep. nope, we're going to keep going down and down and down. Right. So we're we, we're not going to yeah. affect demand that way. Yeah. The other way would be is to affect the, the demand. Another part of that demand is if all of a sudden we had a lot of people move out of Texas, that's which not that's happening. not happening because the they're opposite. all coming to Texas, yeah. Yeah. Texas, Tennessee and Florida. Yeah. Right. I mean, they are migrating in. I think Fort Worth's current population is growing at a rate of a human body every 15 minutes right wow. now. Wow. Right. And there is no There's inventory. nowhere for them to go. <laughs> there's nowhere to live. There's no inventory, right? So so there, there's not much it seems like we can do to reduce the demand, right? So high demand, very low inventory. So you have to look at it and go, okay, well, let's create more inventory. Well, again, the only way to create inventory is by people leaving that create inventory. Yeah. Nobody's leaving. They're all coming here. So you're like, okay, well, let's build more inventory. Well, you well, can't, can't do that because supply chain is- the, the supply chains are all disruptive. But and people go, well, how long can this last? And I said, well, in my opinion, we got another two years of supply chains really trying to get things yeah. straightened out. And they're like, oh, so in two years everything will be better. And I was like, maybe not, because yeah. even if we had all the supply chains on point today, 
we have a skilled labor shortage that people don't want to go do yep. that job. So even if we had all the materials, if you got Who's no one swinging hammers and twisting wrenches, yep. it, it doesn't matter. So that means inventory is going to stay at that scarcity. So yep. you've either got to increase inventory, reduce demand, or do both of those at the same time. None of that's being done. Yep. So that's why I tell people, it's like, hey, because of supply chains, because of lack of labor across all the industry, right, is we're going to see home values continuing to rise. Yeah. My What I tell clients and other people that come and ask me for consulting services is I can show you data that gives me a professional opinion of this thing's got gas pedal for another five years. Yeah. My personal opinion is it's 10. I just don't have enough data to say where will the labor where will the labor be in yeah. another couple of years? If I knew the answer to the labor in the next couple of years, you tighten up your right. Estimate. And, and, and it's so you know, and I, I don't, I don't like talk politics or hot button stuff like that on here. But I tell people, I'm like, hey, yeah, um, you got half this country that's anti-immigration until it affects their wallets, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. So as it turns out, you own a business, you can't get any workers. Well, sooner or later, you're like, hey, come one, come all, right? Because my business is going to die unless I get somebody in there to work and nobody's coming to work, yep. right? So I'm sure those are concerns within the, the, Every the industry, industry, right? Every, and your industry, yeah. right? So you can – so so what are some of the um, – you know, we don't have to make a whole lot of yeah. you know, craziness out of it. What are some of the things that you do to, to reinsure the confidence of your franchisees of like, hey – yeah. So X, we, we right? actually just recently hired um, a – we have business coaches. So when you um, you know buy into a franchise, become a franchisee, if any reputable franchise or is going to provide you with a franchise business coach that is your go-to person that coaches you on your finances, your P&L, just running your business, everything. Um, we just hired a um, – like kind of a, a recruiting personnel um, people uh, – specific business coach and she is creating the specific like resources on recruiting onboarding retention i mean all of the all, the whole entire life cycle of an employee um just we we do constant um learning series virtual webinars for our franchisees playbooks that we've put out to give them the tools to combat this problem as much as they possibly can in the situation that we're in. And, you know, what's really interesting is everybody's saying that, the, you know, all these different things with labor and whatnot. As I really see you and John not just being partners in marriage and parenting, but, I mean, look, his his stick, right, is culture, right? Yeah. I mean, that guy, I mean, man, you want to talk about that's, you know, you want to get the guy to smile that never smiles is talk about culture, right? Yeah. And that's what it is. It's crazy. I mean, the reason I've been very fortunate to be successful in all my businesses is that's the number one thing is culture, yep. right? Train them so they can go get a better job somewhere else, but treat them in such a manner that they don't, they don't even think about they, it, exactly. right? Because when you create that culture is – you know, it, and that's also a blessing and a curse. Yeah. Like my my blessing is my team on the span group, right? I have to buy vacations. <laughs> I I don't know how I don't even know in the last two years how many plane tickets and resorts and everything else. I'm not talking about corporate retreats. I'm yeah. like, here's the plane ticket. One. Get out of here. This is go. go. Take a day <laughs> off, right? Like take take some time off because my fear is burnout. 
Yeah, right? exactly. And, and, and that's a reality, right? Or, Absolutely. Which, as Laura would tell me, she was like, well, you're inhuman, so you don't even know what that means, but the rest of us do. Yeah, yeah. Is, you know, so, but the blessing of it is my my people, they're not going anywhere. Yeah. They don't want, they don't even they don't want to think to. about it yeah. because they love the empowerment that they have, right? Yeah. Is they love, you know, my very hands-off approach to things. They love Laura's leadership and how she does things with the company in that we're like, hey, listen, this is how we do it. Yep. It's yours run with the ball, yep. right? Here's the playbook. You got you got the football, yeah. put it in the end zone, right? Yeah. And, 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 and that's great because they feel this sense of freedom, yep. right? Yeah. And that's what keeps them coming. I mean, actually, in all reality, and if my team's listening, please don't go do this, uh, they could leave – the team today replicate what we're doing and probably go make more money overnight. Mm-hmm. But that's not why they stay. Yeah. They stay because we've created an environment that we're very slow to hire. Yeah. Right. I mean, like we take a lot of time to slow pick to hire, quick right, to fire. <laughs> very, very Perfect important yeah. element because look, um, I had a number of occasions where, so I've brought James Peterson on uh, six months ago, uh, and I it took me two years to get him. Well, one, I couldn't afford him two and a half years ago. I could six months ago when I finally offered him a position. But even then, is it took me two years to get there because every time I had someone get really close to the finish line, at the end of the day, they were going to be disruptive to the team. Mm-hmm. Now, these folks have forgotten more about selling than I even know. I'm a pretty good sales guy, right? Been number one Maybe, at Maybe a little bit. Maybe. Been number one at Sotheby's for a couple of years, right? So I know how to sell. And they had people that knew how to sell better than me, but they weren't going to be a fit for the team. And yeah. I was like, no. As a matter of fact, that's how we empower the team is we're like, hey, here's what we're going to do. What's everybody's thoughts? Yeah. And it's not like other unnamed said company where it's like, hey, what are your thoughts? And you say it and they're like, ah, pound sand. We really didn't care. Yeah. Right? It was yeah. like, okay. If we get one person that says no, then it's a no. Like yeah. even with our clients, when we bring on new clients, if one person says, nope. I got a bad feeling about this that quick, yeah. nope, sorry, we're not going to be a fit with each other. And, you know, even in 2020, we turned down over $4 million worth of production. Nice. All right. To be a top producer in Fort Worth, you only got to do $3 million. Yeah. So we turned down more than what top producers yeah. do. And people are like, how can you do that? And I was like, well, I mean, we still did $40 million. Yeah. Well, <laughs> it goes back to um, you can't be everything to everyone. You no, know, you can't. You, you have to find out what what is your perfect target customer and you go after that. Because if you start veering off too much to trying to be everything to everyone, you get distracted on what your core competencies are. Yeah. So you, that's, that's the right thing. If right. You, you start trying to go after everything, you start losing track of what you're really good at. And that's when competitors come and swoop in and – it's easy for them to to replicate or take over, you know. It's like a friend of mine, Chris Clug. He's uh, uh, Sotheby's up in Aspen, got a bronze medal in the downhill many years ago in the Olympics. He says, "My dad trained me that plan your path, ski your path. When you deviate, that's when you have problems. Doesn't mean yeah. you can't change the path, get yeah. a better path, make some adjustments, stick to the path. But when you deviate." That's when you run into issues, right? And it's easy. There's a lot of distractions out there. There's a lot of opportunities. And it's very hard in business to stay hyper-focused, right? And it is. I mean, I'm faced with it every day. I mean, I'm on average right now, I put two 
houses under contract. This is not for the Span Group side. I mean, we're, we're doing probably about, on average for this year, a little over a million in closings a week yeah. for the Span wow. Group side. And then for my investors and fund that I, that I had started, we're taking down, we put uh, on average two things under contract a week and close two things a week, right? Yeah. For yeah. growing growing this investment portfolio. And, and when you're doing it and you're sticking at a pace, it's really hard to stay disciplined to go, but what if we just do this, this one, yeah. right? And you can't, you got to go, no, yep. the plan is this, this is what we stick to. The hardest part about strategy is saying no. Saying yeah. no, you've got to be able to say no. Yeah, you got to. You got to say yes to the strategy and no to everything else. Everything else, right? yeah. And then as it gets there, it comes together and then you wake up and you're like, wow, how many properties yeah. do we what have? Do do? Like, yeah. whoa, holy yeah. cow. And it just, it, because what it is, is confusion creates fear, clarity yeah. creates trust. Yep. You confuse people like when you deviate from the plan. You confuse people when you don't stay hyper-focused. You give them clarity when you do, and clarity creates trust, and it creates confidence where now, as far as investors, I I, I can say no yeah. to investors because I'm like, no, I, I actually, at this point, never thought I'd be in a point in my life that I actually have more money to spend then there is assets yeah. to go buy. That trust and credibility is so important because people don't buy from people they don't like. Mm-mm. I mean, that trust and credibility is extremely important in building a customer base and growing your customer base. So, um, yeah, what do they say? Culture eats strategy for breakfast. That's it. Yeah. That's absolutely it, right? And look, what good is strategy if it's just an idea and you have no execution? Right. Right. Yeah. So let's take it back. Okay. Go back to 20-year-old self, right? And we know that 20-year-old selves, as I always say at this portion in the show, would probably not listen to anything, wouldn't be willing to listen. But if we knew that 20-year-old self was willing to listen to one thing, that one little nugget of advice, what would you go back and tell 20-year-old self? Like, if anything, do or don't do this. I feel like this is going to be a very cliche answer. But I look at where I'm at today and the life I've lived. Um, I'm, you know, amazing husband and family. We've been through so many things. And we're, like, if I would change one thing, it could change the trajectory of where I am today. I don't know that I would change anything. I, I There are some... Um, lots of things we didn't talk about today in my life that got me to where I am today. And if I would go back and change one little thing, it could change me sitting right here telling you this story. And um, I have I have no regrets. Maybe I've lived a boring life. I don't know. <laughs> there is anything but no boring, regrets. Rachel. Anything but boring. So if I understand right, if you went back to 20-year-old self today, you just look at 20-year-old self and go. Just keep going, girl. Got nothing. Just I mean, go do you. I, I have this thing in me that has always been in me that maybe good or bad. Um, I and John, I think I, I wear John out with this, but it's never enough for me. There's always the next thing and the next thing. I'm just have a growth mindset, and um, I would maybe if I told myself anything is keep that, always have that, keep that moving on to the next thing, even if. You see some bumps, you just go right over them and you, you take it and you go. I mean, that's that's the way I've always lived my life. And I would make sure I, I wouldn't change that. Sound advice from a true professional. <laughs> so 
people want to learn more about men in kilts, yeah. where, where do they go? What do they do? How do they get in touch with you? Yeah, you, you can email me at rsouthard at meninkilts.com. You can check out our website, meninkiltsfranchising.com, our consumer website, meninkilts.com. Okay. And for the audience that's out there listening, if you didn't have a chance to catch that, you can always go to our website, myexperiencerealtor.com, experience with an ED. Click on podcast, scroll down to Rachel Southerd. We will have a read more and you will be able to get directly in touch with her, especially if you want to get into some franchise business. She will lead you. She's absolutely trustworthy. She will be amazing. And as always, if it turns out that you're listening to this episode and you or somebody you know or care about needs to buy and sell real estate anywhere on the planet, go to the landing page, click find a trusted professional, and we'll make sure you don't get a moron. (laughs) Thank you for coming, Rachel. Appreciate it. All right. Great.